KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. The funny thing about that, it was a 17 inning game, and the manager took me out, I don't know, in the 11th or something like that, and put me on first base. And I said, George, what are you doing? I'm pitching great. He says, Oh, I'm going to put you back in. I'm just going to give you a rest. So I actually struck out 31 and 14 innings. <laughs> and our guest this week is former star big league reliever Sparky Lyle, who was a key part of some Phillies teams in the early 80s. And Sparky, thanks so much for the time. Oh, my pleasure. Always good to talk to you. Baseball's been such a big part of your life. When you were growing up, reading up on you, it sounds like baseball wasn't your first love. You were a basketball football kid. Well, I was a basketball football. I was an everything kid. <laughs> uh, back where where I grew up in Reynoldsville, uh, baseball after Little League was non-existent. We didn't have uh, Babe Ruth fields and stuff like that. That's how I ended up playing in Dubois, Pennsylvania, which is only nine miles away. So I just ended up playing there because they had all those things. And uh, they had an American Legion team. They had a Babe Ruth team. And I just uh, basically played uh, whatever sport was in season. So when does baseball start to become something that you think you can take further than most kids? Was there a moment, a year when you were growing up when it all started to come together? I think when I was around 15 or 16, somebody had said to my dad, I don't know who, why don't you have Sparky pitch in the men's league here? Because there were some guys, I I think there were six, seven teams uh, around the area, and they had some guys there that had played minor league ball. They weren't uh, your regular run-of-the-mill beer league uh, type of guys, let's say. And uh, they said, yeah, sure. So I started doing that. And I don't know, my first couple games, I I struck out double digits. And that's what really started me, uh, I guess, got the bug going to where I was having more fun than normal pitching and, you know, looking forward to the day that I started and, and things like that. And I had had this curveball that I used for my out pitch that I threw with my thumb up in the air. In other words, I didn't really have my thumb on the ball. And that sounds crazy, but uh, I just gripped it so tight. And this thing would just go down a, a foot. Fast forward to Ted Williams when I was in spring training and I pitched and struck out 12 and in five innings, he told me, well, I can see your thumb up in the air when you're throwing that ball. Now, if it was anybody besides Ted Williams, I would have probably said, I don't really care. They can't hit it. But that was the beginning of me starting to toy with the slider. And I know we went fast forward a lot from Reynoldsville, but, uh, that all intertwined as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you mentioned Reynoldsville. That's all you're out in western Pennsylvania. Yes. Uh, and did I see something that you once struck out 31 batters in a state tournament game when you were growing yes. up? Yeah. Well, what that was, it, it was 
The funny thing about that, it was a 17 inning game. And the manager took me out, I don't know, in the 11th or something like that, and put me on first base for three innings. And I said, George, what, what are you doing? I'm pitching great. And he says, oh, I'm going to put you back in. I'm just going to give you a rest. So, <laughs> so I actually struck out 31 in 14 innings. <laughs> and I think that uh, I think that was an amateur record at that point in time because uh, there there were never any scouts coming to Reynoldsville, Pennsylvania. And uh, after that, there were. So we kind of put Reynoldsville on the map there a little bit. You ended up getting signed by Baltimore. I think the Red Sox drafted you from the Orioles organization. But what was it like that young when you start getting that attention and scouts start coming and, and people are talking to you about playing baseball as a professional? Was it overwhelming at first or did it just it, feel like the next logical step? Uh, it, I really wasn't paying much attention to it because, I mean, at that point in time, I was probably averaging at least 16 strikeouts a game. And when these scouts did come to see me, now there was one there from the Pirates, one from the Dodgers. I think I struck out 18 that day, and they said, well, you know, we'd like to see you pitch again. Blah, blah, blah. It was always something like that. I wasn't throwing hard enough. I had a tryout down in Pittsburgh, and I'm standing beside Steve Del Canton, okay? Now, this guy was throwing 95 miles an hour. The two of us were throwing side-by-side side at – the stadium there. And I think they were very interested in Del Canton. And when the guy turned to me, the scout, he says, lefty, are you ready to go? And I said, yep. He says, uh, cut a couple loose. And I said, I have been. <laughs> yeah. He patted me on the back and he says, well, you can go ahead and go. <laughs> so my dad says, what happened? I says, Nothing. He, he asked me if I was ready to cut it loose, and I said I already had. So that was pretty much it. But uh, that was even before the way it is today, you know, as far as everybody throwing so hard. Uh, I, I was always a uh, get-that-first-strike type of guy. I mean, I, I could hit 90 miles an hour, which was pretty good for back in those days. You know, I think the – the average fastball back in those days was 88, which that's what my slider turned out being was 88 miles an hour. So I felt I was really uh, even with everybody with that pitch. So I mentioned you get signed by the Orioles, then the Red Sox take you and you eventually make your big league debut. Uh, I think it was the, was it the 4th of July uh, with the uh, Red Sox? I think I came up in June. I don't know what the exact date was. I, I think it was June. Do you remember your big league debut? Uh, not a lot. <laughs> I got The one thing I remember is I called time because I said I, I need a rosin bag. And, and uh, I forget who. Maybe I, it had, I think it was the umpire said, well, it's on the back of the mound there if you want to get <laughs> <laughs> so uh once I did once I did that I was I was fine and I think the hardest the, the craziest thing for me was I just felt 
I had to make a big decision. Here I am. I'm in the big leagues. I have two weeks to show what I can do, which I appreciated Dick Williams telling me that, you know, that I had two weeks and, and, uh, I really wanted to throw this every pitch, but they were calling one. I had a curveball too. I had a, a change, not a good change, but it was good enough. And, uh, so about halfway through that first, uh, time pitching in the big leagues, I made up my mind. Well, I'm going to throw this every pitch until they start hitting it. And I did that for 16 years. <laughs> and that was the slider. And, and that, so, yes. So this is 1967. Uh, you, you stay up, you have an ERA of 2.28. Did the success feel right? Were you surprised how well you threw at the big league level? Did you feel like you belonged once you, you got a couple games under your belt? I felt that I belonged when I developed that slider. Before that, I didn't know because I hadn't had the chance. Nobody even mentioned the fact of me pitching in the big leagues before I developed that slider. And Ted Williams told me that if I developed that slider, he'd see me in the big leagues. Now, how about that? No, absolutely. And, and uh, that guy was really didn't, he just had a good talk with me because I was all jacked up that day after striking out 12 guys in five innings. And he told me, get, get your uniform on. We're going back outside. And he says, I'm going to show you how to throw that curveball, that 12 to six curveball with your thumb on the ball. And I did get that. I mean, I was throwing that. And it was during that session that he told me that the slider was the best pitch in baseball because he couldn't hit it when he knew when he knew it was coming. And that was good enough for me. He didn't tell me how to throw it. He just told me what it did and that it was hard to decipher between a fastball and a breaking ball. And I would lay in bed at night with the ball in my hand, trying to figure out how I was going to throw that. And I think I threw it a little bit different than most. I mean, as it turns out, Carlton threw his the same way. Most guys that threw the slider that went down, we all threw it the same way. You started as a starting pitcher in the minors, yes. and then you transitioned to the bullpen. Did you? Was that your idea? Was that something that happened because of an emergency and you stuck around? How did that transition to the pen happen? Because as it turns out, you pitch in almost 900 games in the big leagues, all as a reliever. Yeah, I know. Well, here's what happened. When George Stoller saw me pitch, it was on a Saturday. I had a good day. I forget how many I struck out that day. But all he said to me was, are you interested in playing pro ball? And he was the only scout that ever said that to him. The only one. And I said, he, yeah. I told him how old I was. He said, well, I need to follow you home and talk to your parents. And I signed that day. And I left the next day because that was the day that the minor leagues broke camp from Florida. So when I got to Bluefield, West Virginia, Jimmy Fry, who was a manager, says, I'm going to put you in the bullpen. He says, I, I just have all the, you know, I have all the papers on you and everything like that. 
but he says, I've already have my rotation set, blah, blah, blah. And I said, that's fine. And I pitched first couple nights or whatever. And uh, he says, well, you got the day off today. And I said, why? And he said, well, you've thrown the last couple days. And I said, well, my arm doesn't get sore. He goes, what did you say? <laughs> so I'd say that statement there is what made me a relief. <laughs> First five years in Boston, then you go to the Yankees. And I mean, you had a lot of success in Boston, but it kind of goes to another level uh, with the Yankees. When you first get traded to New York, you know, it's always interesting, you know, the when a young player gets traded, how did you handle it? Especially going from the Red Sox to the Yankees, two rivals like that. What was that like? Oh man, it was, it, it was crazy. I, you know, being from a small town, I mean, I've never even imagined anything like that. And, uh, Ralph had, you know, kind of in passing in spring training said, kept telling me, whatever you do, don't get hurt in spring training. You know, I'm still trying, I'm still trying. And, uh, I was supposed to pitch in Orlando and Eddie Casco was the manager. I made that trip and Eddie says, is it all right if you pitch tomorrow? I can't get you in there today. I, I didn't think anything of it. I said, yeah, sure. You know, and uh, when we got back is when the trade happened. Being from a small town, I wasn't thinking they were had anything in the works or anything like that. So but when that was, as soon as we, I got off the bus, holy hell broke loose. And uh, I went over to the trailer to uh, thank Dick O'Connell for bringing me to the big leagues and nobody was home. So I ended up uh, leaving there before I had a chance to thank anybody. When I got to the Yankees, why Ralph had my number in my locker and he asked me how I wanted to pitch. And I said, I want to, I want to pitch every day and I'll let, don't ask me how I feel. I'll let you know when I need a day off. And he was the only guy that really did that. And that made me a better pitcher because I stayed sharp. Never, never give it a second thought about throwing that. I threw that slider three and oh, three and one. It, it, it didn't matter. And Ralph was Ralph Halk, the manager, correct? Yes. Yes. So did you feel comfortable, you Very. know, with the Yankees and it, you know, you're talking Yankees in the seventies. This is when Steinbrenner takes over and that's, that's tons right. of success, tons of big egos. What are those <laughs> years like as you're coming into your own as a pitcher, maturing as a person and in a lot of cases, I guess, organized chaos around you. Yeah, it was, but the fan, the Yankee fans helped me a lot. I think they're, I mean, they would chant my name. They would, uh, you know, when I was coming into a game during batting practice, I mean, that's the part there that I I guess I would say I was more at ease when I was on that field than at any other time. You have a ton of success. Like I said, you were good in Boston, but uh, your, your work with the Yankees is on a different level. You actually win the Cy Young Award in 77 as a reliever. Yes. You won 13 games, 26 saves, first reliever to win the award. When does that, you know, when, 
when does does somebody come up to you in the during the season and go, man, you know, you might win this? Were you completely surprised people were talking about it? How did you feel about uh, something like that in the midst of being on a team that's going to win a world title? Well, I was I was more worried about getting into playoffs and everything else at that point in time. You know what I was doing? I knew I knew I was on a run. And I knew that uh, as long as I kept that up, we sure as hell had a pretty good chance. And uh, when the talk started coming around, I, I really, I thought it was nice to be considered, but, you know, they didn't even take relievers to the all-star game back then. So to go from not going to the all-star game to winning it, that was pretty far away. But uh, it was just, so emotional when I got that call that day that uh, I just felt that um, I think one of the one of the first things I, I had said to my wife at that point in time was, "Boy, the relievers will be on a different level now," and that was that was true. It changed it changed everything, and I give that thing a little rub every day. <laughs> and you threw. I mean, it was a different world. When you look at relief pitching now to relief pitching, you know, when, when you're in your prime, you threw, I think it was like 137 innings that year you win the Cy Young Award. Were you kind of ready as a reliever for anything like, you know, you might get called in the fifth inning and take it to the finish line. You might not get called to the ninth. And once you got into a game, regardless of when it is, what you're, you expected to finish it, correct? Yes. Yes, I did. And I and the other thing was that usually back then the phone would ring and they would say if so and so and so and so gets on then you're going to face this guy. So it wasn't like we're going to give you a clean inning, and that didn't matter to me because that's just the way things were back then. And uh, so I knew that. Uh, I mean, uh, I got out of so many jams. I I would say coming in with one out and a guy in first and second and they hit the ball to nettles and that was the end of it, you know, <laughs> double play. That didn't bother me coming in, you know, in the six or seven, but don't forget now we had Dick Tidbro for that, who just passed away and he was my very good friend. So you have that great year and then in seven, in 78, the Yankees go and get Rich Gossage. It seems like your role changes. How does that sit with you after having a dominant year like that in 77? Well, I I think as it presented itself, I think in my mind, what should have happened there, but George was convinced that he was going to have the best right left-handed bullpen in the big leagues. So far from the truth. Here, you got two guys out there who are used to being in 70 games. What's going to happen? You can't split time. Goose throws 97, I throw 88. Who is going to pitch? Goose. And I knew that. Goose and I were friends. We still are. And I just felt once they made up their mind to get Goose, they should have traded me. But the only reason I think that they didn't is because they thought that, uh, you know, we were going to have the best right-handed 
I ended up not pitching that well that year because, you know, I did most of my throwing in the bullpen. <laughs> but even, you know, maybe not your best pitching, still you won nine, you saved nine, a, a very, very respectable ERA of 3.47. Um, was it, was that year fun for you or oh, was, yeah. it, was well, it still? It, it was fun. And it was also not so fun because I wasn't pitching, but I really did know that going in. And I mean, I used to kid, I said, Hey, you know, if I, if I was them, I would have got goose. Why not? I mean, how many times a guy like that come along and, uh, you know, after playing against him, I mean, I know we did, I know we didn't hit them, <laughs> but, um, you know, that just seemed that, uh, I lost a year there, but my goal was as same as everybody else on that team was to get that pennant and, and, and to play with a team that went to three straight World Series. That doesn't happen very often. We're what very was, proud of that. And what was it like? You you win World Series in 77, 78. You guys fall to the Reds in 76. But you know, what's that like to be on top of the mountain? Individual stats aside, Cy Young aside, you know, maybe not pitching in the role you're used to, you know, when the, when the dust clears to, to be able to hold the title like that. Tremendous feeling, tremendous. And I can remember us talking when we got beat in 76 that, okay, what's our goal? Our goal is to get back to the World Series figuring we were going to face Cincinnati again, and they ended up not making. We wanted to have another another chance. We we were a little beat up when we ran into Cincinnati, and I'm not. Hey, they were one hell of a ball club. I'm not saying anything bad about them, but we just would have liked to been on uh, better terms or been healthier, and that was our goal: was to get get to a couple more World Series to prove ourselves. You know, you, you Chris Shambles hits a game-winning walk-off home run to put us in the, the World Series. And uh, uh, I think a lot of people, ah, that was kind of a fluke, but it wasn't a fluke. I mean, we were coming on all year long. And I think the only reason maybe people felt that way is because the Yankees hadn't been even close to contending years before that but those three years are i'll never forget them as long as i live after 78 you get traded to texas and then in 80 you come to philadelphia and you get traded to the phils as they're making their push i think it was mid-september so what was it like joining a team that had an established core and you talk about those yankee teams in 76 77 78 the Phillies were kind of the next level down. They could win the division, but they couldn't break through and get to the series. What was it like coming into that clubhouse and, and coming into that team in, in late in 80? Well, it, it was great for me because even though I was one of the guys in Texas, why another hard thrower by the name of Jim Kern kind of took, everything away from me. So I helped him as much as I could to try and help the team. 
But to get with Philadelphia and Tug McGraw and I were very, very good friends, even though we played on uh, different sides of the town. But um, and, and all the guys at, at the Phillies were were tremendous. I mean, I loved sitting there the first day and just looking around and oh, my God, I said, man, if they don't do it this year. They're going to miss a hell of a chance. That's all I know. So I I. I helped out. Uh, uh, I felt good about finishing up that year the way I did. Then Tug got back, and he got back in his rhythm, and they were on their way. Congratulations. Time for a break on one-on-one. We will have more with former Philly Sparky Lyle right after this. And we are back on one-on-one. Our guest this week is one of the top relievers in baseball history and a former Philly Sparky Lyle. What is it like to, from a just a, a personal standpoint, to to join a group that was together that long? You know that Schmidt Carlton you mentioned, McGraw, Gary Maddox. We all know the names around here, but they had spent five, six, seven, eight years together. What was it like to to come on the ride that late, just from a personal clubhouse standpoint? Well, I. The clubhouse is relatively quiet there. Not, I, I, I'm just saying, it, it was relatively quiet for what I was used to, you know, with the Yankees. And but that's the way those guys were. They, they were, were a quiet bunch. And and you look around, and I think the piece that was missing there was Pete Rose, and what he did to help Mike Schmidt achieve what he was supposed to achieve you know that I'm, and i'm not just picking two guys out of all of those guys but sometimes a thing like that happens and it just your cup runneth over into everybody else you know they started winning with uh with different guys every night instead of just mike schmidt hitting a home run or uh or Pete Rose uh, knocking somebody on their ass, you know, and uh, Pete was going, you know, he was going for the hit record and you'd have never known it by him. I mean, he, he was just, uh, uh, I never saw anybody that loved to play baseball like Pete Rose. And I was glad that I had the opportunity to play on a team and actually watch him play every day. And it's interesting, you mentioned, you know, with this group, if not now, when, and they had been on the doorstep. I'm curious, when you come in at that point, did you sense pressure with them, like the group felt, we have to do this now, or was it relatively relaxed? Where did they fall on that spectrum? I think they were right on the edge of knowing that it was before them, that they they were going to get there. I think that th- there was just a uh, a calmness, as I say, in the clubhouse, on the field. You know, nobody was uh, – the one thing I didn't hear is we got to do this, we got to do that. It wasn't that. It's just go, just go do it like Pete goes and does it. That's why he was so important to that team there. Pete played that way every day. And finally, I think everybody else decided, well, hey, that's how, that's how in the hell you do that. You play like that every day, not in a World Series, not in a playoff game. You don't wait for that. 
it was very relaxed for me. That 80 team managed by Dallas Green, what was he like to play for? He was, he was very good, very good. And uh, he was a quiet guy also. You know, I, I, I was always a guy that never – I never hung around the managers. I never uh, said hi to them and <laughs> all that kind of stuff, you know. But uh, if I have time, I want to tell you a story about – how I got my one and only stolen base in the big leagues. Absolutely. I came in a game and got out of an inning and Dallas is the pitchers first up and Dallas is, I forget who he said now, but to get loose, he's going to hit for hit for me. And Pete says, Dallas, what are you doing? You see how this guy's throwing? Send them back out there. Dallas looks at me and, you know, I didn't, I, I hadn't hit, I hadn't been in the batter's box for 10 years or whatever. So he says, all right. He took Pete's advice. So here I am. I'm getting ready to go. I said, well, I don't have a bat. Well, Pete says, here, take my bat. I don't have a bat and help. Well, we'll get you a helmet. Well, the first pitch was inside probably the only pitch I could ever hit. I get a base hit between first and second. So now I'm taking my lead off. Pete puts the hit and run on. I'm going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. What am I going to do? Well, I guess I'm going to run like hell. That's what I'm going to So first move, I just took off. The next thing I know, they're calling me safe. <laughs> and... They told me that uh, the catcher dropped the ball and they and still almost got me. <laughs> so the St. Louis bullpen, Bruce Suter, they took the base and signed that and gave it to me. <laughs> and then Pete comes walking up the plate without a bat, and the umpire says to him, boy, this hit record's getting to you. And he says, hey, I'm using Sparky Lyle's bat. <laughs> So I'd say by that alone gives you that'll give you the uh, how things were around there. And I think they knew that that was their year and that's that's what was going to happen. Your only full year in Philly is 81 and you pitch well, nine wins, key part of the bullpen. Um, that's also the strike year. And I'm just curious, what was that like? to shut down in the middle of the season for that kind of length of time, aside from, you know, any acrimony and, you know, labor situation, just from a pure playing standpoint, how tough was it to shut it down and then have to start it up again for the second half? Oh, it, it was absolutely brutal. It really was. And I don't think I took that as hard. A lot of guys took that a lot harder than I did. But the only reason that I didn't take it as hard as I – I knew if we did come back, it wasn't going to take me long to get to get back. I, I wasn't working out or anything like that because I didn't I didn't think we were going to come back. But I I've never had any trouble uh, pitching when maybe I'm not in pitching shape. If that makes any sense mm -hmm. to you, I'm curious in talking to you, all the success you had. You know, 238 career saves. 
99 wins, a career ERA under three. But it always feels, it seems like because you didn't throw mid-90s, sometimes people would fall in love with the hard throwers. Do you do you feel like your career maybe in some eyes didn't get the respect it deserved because you didn't throw hard? Absolutely. I do feel that way. But I'm not I'm not to the point of holding a grudge or anything. I I don't think that there I think I can stand my ground against anybody out there during that period of the hard throwers and just the fact that I got people out with one pitch is I'm proud of. But that was a decision, like I said, when we started this interview, it was a very tough one for me to make. But I said, well, if I want to stay in the big leagues, I've got to have this pitch. I can't, I can't do it any other way. And uh, I think maybe I don't get the respect because I was a, Happy-go-lucky guy, too. You know, I I didn't smack uh, – if I lost a game or something or pitched bad, I didn't smash the clubhouse. I was always available to the writers because I knew I knew I was going to pitch again tomorrow. Too many games. But in answer to your question, yeah, I, I, I feel like uh, I got cheated a little bit because they didn't throw hard. Just and like it- the guy said from Pittsburgh. Go home, have a good life, son. <laughs> yeah, because I I even see it today. Scouts, teams, fans, they fall in love with the hard throwers and seem to kind of overlook guys that, well, this guy just seems to get people out. And whether it's a strikeout, a pop-up, whatever, isn't that kind of the name of the game? And your career kind of screams that to me as someone yeah, who just really, got people it, out when he was supposed to. That's right. In in all the situations, too. And I mean, there wouldn't be any Jamie Moyer today. I mean, that guy never get a chance. Mm-hmm. Never get a chance. You always got to throw strike one. My grandson right now, he's pitching and he's worried because he's 15 and he's throwing 82, 83 miles an hour. And I says, can you throw that ball wherever you want to? He says, yeah, pretty much. I said, then don't worry about it. You know, you just keep doing what you're doing. I I just watched uh, Severino pitch at our place the other night. And, you know, he came up there for a start. He, I don't think he was turning it loose, but he ends up walking the first guy. Next guy hits a dinger, down two nothing. That's how this. These guys can hit 97, 98 mile an hour fastballs. They've seen so many of them now. I mean, it's you make a mistake with it, they're going to hit it. You always got to respect those hitters, and I always have. You just. Don't make that mistake. So you split the 82 season with the Phillies, and then you you wind up with the White Sox. That ends up being <laughs> your last year in the big leagues. Were you at peace when it was over, or did you feel like you still had more? Oh, I, I felt like I still had a little more, but I got to tell you that uh, I threw a slider to some rookie kid. I couldn't even tell you who it was at home. And he hit the ball out of the ballpark foul. And I can remember asking the catcher, 
I said, now I threw that slider right where I wanted it. And I said, is that slider exploding on the hitter or is it all one speed? He says, it's all one speed. And that's when I made up my mind that I think we had six games left and I was done. I retired on my own. I, I made my own mind up there that I had, I had a couple calls to go to spring training, but once again, you know, what am I going to do? Uh, I got all these guys out for 16 years. I'm not going out there defenseless anymore. <laughs> and, and I got to tell you, as I sit here right now, it was the best decision I ever made. When does you end up managing the Somerset Patriots? You mentioned they're a double-A team with the Yankees now, but for the longest Correct. time they were independent league in the yes. Atlantic League. Uh, yes. you, you start in 98. Where does that where does that come together? Well, it's John Bukovic and I were good friends. He was a coach and player with the Phillies. And uh, he knew Stephen Califer, the owner of our team. And I wanted to buy a truck. And I said, don't you know a guy that has a dealership? I can get a deal on a truck. Well, he sent me up to Flemington. And what happened was I had to order the truck. So in the meantime, he had bought a franchise in the Atlantic League. So when I went back to pick my truck up, he asked me if I'd ever managed before. And I said, no. And he said, I... I want a Yankee and somebody with some notoriety to manage my team. I said, you have a team. So we made an agreement. I signed two contracts that day, one, one with the bank and uh, one with Steve Kelleher. I actually, I, I loved every minute of it. I really did. And the reason I took that job was the Atlantic league was a league that was designed to get players back to organizations. You know, when you get released and you're 23 years old, you can't play in the beer league and expect to get back. And I want to tell you this, that league went from, I mean, there were days we could field nine major league baseball players, nine and all, and they weren't 40 years old either. You know, they had a little cup of coffee and that's why I took that job because these guys needed something like that. They really did, and it's it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And you had a ton of success. You won five pennants there. And as someone who went to a lot of Camden River Sharks games when they were in the league, <laughs> yeah, it was good baseball. I thought the Atlantic <laughs> oh, it League. Was. It it during the time Camden was there. I felt like it never got the respect it deserved because it wasn't affiliated. But if you went there and you mentioned you see major league players, but you would see a lot of guys that would end up in organizations, maybe not get to the, to the big leagues, but that would play pro ball. It's good baseball. Oh yeah. Hey, I think we, we, we put more than 500 guys back, maybe even more than that. I mean, they got that second chance and a lot of the big league players that went maybe uh, that got back to the big leagues, they end up playing two, three, five more years. So it was, it was a good thing. So when you I, look back on all the success of your career and everything, everything you've done, what are you most proud of? Being able to play against the best in the world every single day. I respected everybody 
that I ever played with or against. And I mean, that's the way I felt when I got up in the morning. I'm playing against the best again today. There's nothing like it. Nothing like it. Sparky Lyle, this was a ton of fun. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you. And you know what? It, it was it was really good talking to you, but I gotta I gotta say, I have to go anyhow because I gotta catch the first pitch. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank you for your time, sir. All right, man. Thank you. Take care. Bye. And that will do it for this week's episode. Many thanks to former Philly Sparky Lyle for being our guest this week. If you like the show and want to help us out, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. Now, you can follow the show on Twitter at one on one pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon 1060. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to join us again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.